that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. Great passage here. Uh, some phenomenal concepts in it. Let's have a prayer and then we'll dig into it together. Father, we, uh, you know, we thank you. We thank you for the realities uh, that, that, that we see in this passage, God. You know, the, even you know, the same as what Trevor and Pansy were sharing about, God. Just the transformational power that your gospel has, God. And, and we pray, God, that you help us this afternoon uh, to learn to, to see ourselves how you see us, God. To learn, you know, within our minds to, to count ourselves uh, dead to sin and alive to you. Father, help us in this, God. Help, help these, you know, these concepts to, to be ingrained on our hearts and our minds, God. We, we pray that your spirit helps us, God, uh, convicts us, reassures us, reminds us uh, of who we are now in you, God. Uh, be with us now as we look at this passage. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. It is a, uh, a phenomenal passage, and as we talked about last week, uh, Paul is shifting gears, and, and, and he's told us uh, all about the gospel uh, in chapters 1, one to 5, uh, and now he's getting into the practical outworking of how, how does that reality, that, that gospel message, how, does it, how is it meant to change us? God has rescued us, he's paid our debt, he's justified us, uh, but that grace that he's poured into our life, without a doubt, should change us. And it should change us profoundly uh, and, and set our whole life on a different course of direction, just like Trevor shared, right? Uh, you know, and, and Pansy as well. Uh, and, and here we talk, talked a little bit about verses 1 and 2 last week, this idea that, that in view of how amazing that grace is, the response cannot be sin more. There's a famous, I don't, I don't, I don't know if he's Christian, probably not based on his thought, you know, but he, he talks about, you know, it, since God is so forgiving, it's his duty to forgive us. So basically do whatever you want to do, right? That's the opposite of what Paul is saying here, right? Uh, and I think that was a German philosopher that said that, right? And, and, and the, the, the key to, to Paul, uh, to, to, to what he's saying here in the first half of this chapter is found there in verse 11 where he tells us that we need to count ourselves. We need to reckon ourselves. We need to get these two truths in our head, uh, you know, that we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That, that, that the, 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 the first step to a changed life in some sense, it begins in our minds. It begins in how we see ourselves, you know, and, uh, and it's an interesting thing. It's an accounting term there, right, to reckon, to count it, uh, you know, and, and, and he's, uh, he, 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 I think he's intentional in what he does because it never feels like that as a Christian. It doesn't feel like, man, I'm dead to sin, right? It doesn't always feel that way. And, and Paul's saying, look, you got you to look at it this way uh, because this, in the eyes of God, is what we are, all right? This is what we are, and so let's... 
you know, let's unpack those two concepts, dead to sin, alive to God. Uh, but understand that, that you've got to learn to see yourself in this way. And you've got to learn to, to understand that in a, in a legal sense before God, that's how he sees you. Okay? And, and, and if we can get those things in our head, they have profound impact on how we live. Profound impact on how, how radically our lives can change. Amen? If we don't, if we don't ingrain it in, though, it, it's, it's, it's it, it, you know, as Peter even says, you know, look, we have all these things, but you have to use them. You know, th- these two concepts, as we unpack them, you, you'll see they are like uh, the trust fund of all trust funds. Right? Uh, and maybe, you know, some of you got trust funds when you reached a certain age in life. Maybe not, right? Uh, I didn't, but, amen, illustration still, still helps us. This idea that, man, if you have a trust fund, it's there. And when you reach a certain age, you can then draw from that. And that can radically change your life uh, day in and day out, but you have to draw on it. It can sit there and you, and you not tap into it. You think you can do it on your own. But, but if you begin to draw on it, it can, it can radically change you. And that's the reality that, that we're going to talk about here in these passages. Amen? All right. So first one here. And here's uh, Mutsa getting baptized. Uh, you know, team effort. They didn't go out very far. I'm not sure why. Right? But, you know, this, the, the, Paul's entire thing that he's going to say in these verses is framed on baptism. Right? And he's reminding these, these, these disciples, he's reminding this church, hey, when you were baptized, here's what happened. And the first thing that he's unpacking there is that idea that, that, that we died to sin. You know, that, that there in verse 2 he says it. Again, uh, in, uh, in verses 3 and 4, he says, All of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried with him through baptism into death. Verses 6 to 7, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. And you, and you think about that. When you think about those verses and, and the things they're saying in it, I mean, that we are, we are baptized into Jesus. And when you, when you go into the waters, you, you are connecting to an event that occurred 2,000 years ago. But that is how the Bible says we connect to that saving moment, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It is in baptism. That there we are, we are buried with him. We died. We died just as he died. That our old self, the old ego, uh, the who we are, we, who we were before, right, that, that we heard earlier, that that, that that dies there in the water. That it stays there, right? That the body ruled by sin, that, that the power of sin and death that, 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 that controlled us, that that's gone, that's removed. That we are no longer slaves and we are, in fact, free, you know? And this dead to sin concept, sometimes it's a difficult concept to, to understand, you know? And, you know, sometimes we get into kind of opposite extremes of how we understand it, you know? We can think uh, that dead to sins means that we no longer want to sin, that, it, that it's not something we even desire anymore. Uh, you know, I'll give you 30 minutes after you get baptized and you realize that that's not true, right? Uh, and, and if it was, it would make a lot of the other verses, like verses 12 to 14, where, where Paul, you know, tells them, don't let sin reign in your body so that you obey its evil desires, don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, it would make those verses pointless of saying if you actually believe that that's what dead to sin means. Because he's, you know, 12 through 14, assumes you have evil desires still that, that, that push back on you, you know. And, uh, it, it, you know, 
if, if we buy into that being what dead to sin means, uh, it's going to produce self-righteous uh, behavior modification is really what we're going to end up doing. Because we're going to realize deep inside, man, there's still that desire to sin. And so we're going we're to try to control what we control externally to try to look as if we, we, are, we, we are in fact no longer controlled by sin. Right. Uh, you know, and, and that's how you end up like Matthew 23, where Jesus rebukes the Pharisees and said, hey, you, you're, you're straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Meaning you're trying to control something, uh, you know, that's that you think is small and really visible and really important. But you're neglecting some massive other things. Right. And, and that, that's kind of one extreme. The other extreme uh, is that we no longer ought to sin. You know, it's, it's no longer uh, it's no longer appropriate. Right. If the first one goes way too far, the second one doesn't go far enough, right? Both, both are incorrect, right? You know, Paul didn't say uh, that we ought to die. He said we, 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 we need to die to sin, right? We, we, we are buried. We're dead. Uh, you know, if we, if we ascribe to that idea, that the, the we no longer ought to sin mentality of that meaning what dead to sin means, that just leads to self-righteous laxness, where grace becomes a, uh, a blanket you throw on your sin to cover it up, to justify it, rather than actually produce repentance in your life or godly sorrow as you should. And it becomes like Jeremiah 6, which you can read that in, in, in your quiet time, uh, where, where the, the prophet rebukes the, the priest because they, they say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. They act like everything's fine, but he says, you're treating the wound as if it is not serious. Right? And, and grace is, again, it's meant to treat the wound not just purely cover up the wound. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Both those, those ideas of what dead to sin are wrong. And what Paul is driving at here is that we are no longer under the reign of sin. That, that sin has a power. And, and this is, especially when we're, when we're first studying the Bible, this is a difficult concept for us to accept. Because we, in our pride, think we are in control. Right? Uh, you know, you want to see what really gets under people's skin is when that is threatened. And that's not just a modern-day human problem. That's an old problem. Right? One of my favorite passages in, in, in the Gospel of John is chapter 8, when Jesus is having a little friendly discussion with some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Uh, and he tells them, look, if you hold to my teachings, then you're my disciples, then you know, you know, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And, and you can almost see their pride begin to recoil. How can you say we're slaves? We're Abraham's descendants. We're not slaves. You're just like everyone who sins is a slave to sin, right? The thing escalates pretty quickly, and before you know it, he's saying, hey, Satan's your father, uh, not God, right? And you think, well, how did we get there, you know? But uh, we, we, we are a lot of times, mankind is just like them back then. We think we're in great control. But the reality is, pre-baptism, you, you're under the reign and power of sin. It controls you. It enslaves you. You serve it, whether you really understand that or not, is irrelevant. Whether you accept that truth is, again, it's irrelevant. God is saying, hey, this is reality. That sin and death ha has this power. And there's lots of passages that talk about this, right? Even look back in chapter 5, Paul, Paul touched on it at the very end of that chapter, where he talked about just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness. That sin has this reigning control, this power over our lives. Again, we may think, we may feel like, hey, I'm not a slave. God's got a different perspective. And you may be able to change a few things here and there, but it's limited. 
You cannot bring about the radical transformation that the gospel can. And it's not within your power to do it. You can try all the self-help gurus you want, but it's not going to do it. Right? There's a power of sin, uh, and it controls us. Hebrews 2, which is one of my favorite ones about this concept, right? And it's talking about Jesus you know, being that, that, that high priest that we prayed about earlier. It says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. To understand it, that sin has this reigning power, and that that power controls our lives. You know, and our ability, you know, that we're, we're, we're trapped in that. You know, we've got to realize that. You know, Colos- or, sorry, Romans chapter 6, same, same concept here. Uh, our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that should we no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And, and Paul's point here is he talks about, and he's, you think about how many times in that, in that chapter he talks about you're dead, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead, uh, and you've connected to Jesus' death because in his mind, your legal status changes when you're dead. It no longer, it no longer hangs over you, right? Uh, here's a picture from uh, uh, Baghdad. Right when the you, I'm, I'm, I am still American, right when the U.S. invaded Iraq, uh, you know eventually once they had c- taken control, uh, the Iraqi people came out and they tore down the the uh, the, the the statue uh, of Saddam Hussein, right. So so at that moment, what happened? There was a transfer of power, right? No longer did Saddam uh, have power and control over Iraq, right? You read the news today though. How's Iraq going? Terrible, right? The, the power has been changed, but that doesn't mean the battle's over, right? And it's a similar il- illustration here to, to help us connect with what Paul's saying here. He's saying, look, when you were baptized, that power has been removed, but that doesn't mean the fight's over, right? Uh, that doesn't mean that the fight just magically stops, right? Uh, the, the, the battle wages on, but, but the ability for sin and death to overrun you completely, that's gone. Because you've died. And that penalty, that, that penalty of guilt and condemnation uh, that enslaves us, that's removed, right? That, 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 that we have changed, you know? And John Murray, in his commentary on Romans, he says that old man, the old self or the ego, the unregenerate man in his entirety is dead. Doesn't mean the patterns don't persist. But he's saying, you need to look at yourself and understand and get into your mind the reality that that old self, that sin, the fear of death that controlled you, it no longer has power over you anymore. It may not feel like it at times, but Paul is saying you need to grasp this because a lot of times we can look at sin and we can be filled with hopelessness. We can look at cyclical sins in our own heart and our own life and patterns that are even intergenerational in our families and think, gosh, how can I break the cycle? You have the ability, Paul says. But you need to reckon it. You need to consider it. You need to count it out. You need to realize the implications of the Gospels and the fact that you have been buried with Christ, that you are no longer controlled by sin anymore. It may feel as if you are, but that's not reality. Difficult for us to understand, though, at times. You know, but this idea that we're dead to sin, and I picked on Augustine last week a little bit, 
you know, with, uh, with, with original sin. Uh, and so I thought I would counter it a little bit, you know, because Augustine does obviously say a lot of great things, you know. And there's a story about Augustine that before he became, before his conversion, he was converted converted in his late teens, early 20s. Uh, you know, before then, Augustine was, was kind of, you know, a little bit like Trevor. Okay, we all know what Trevor's like, because Trevor just shared, uh, you know, but, but Augustine had, you know, perhaps gone a step further even, uh, and, and was uh, basically just living with a prostitute, right? You know, why'd you laugh, pants? I know. No, I know, I know. I set Trevor up for bad, bad reality there, you know. But I had already started saying it, and my mind was saying, you shouldn't have said that. But it was too late. We were too far down the road. And so there's a glimpse into to my, my, the inner workings of my mind, right? But, but Augustine, you know, was living this life and, and, and was just, you know, completely consumed in a life of sin, though his mother had become a Christian and was praying daily for him to become a Christian as well. Uh, he, he was just living a life of just straight rebellion, uh, you know. And, 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 you know, but eventually... The prayers of the mother, as they often do, work. And Augustine turned back to God. And, and, and whether it's, you know, Apocrypha or just legend or whatever, you know, the, the story goes that, that Augustine one day, you know, was walking through, through the streets. Uh, and that former mistress, that, the, the, the prostitute he used to live with, uh, was calling out to him, Augustine, Augustine. Uh, you know, and he heard her uh, and he even saw her, but, you know, he just keeps walking. And she yells louder, Augustine, Augustine. And, you know, eventually she, you know, kind of gets right up in front of him and, like, she, and, and like grabs him and says, it's I, Augustine. And he says, it, it, it is you, but it is not I anymore. In Augustine's mind, he understood, you know what, that, yes, that's my former life. But I'm a different person. But that Augustine that she knew, he's dead. And that woman had a lot of power over him in the past, and you know, had, you know, he'd indulged in a fair bit of sin with him, you know, and she know, that that temptation, that sin, no longer had power over, him. you know, because Augustine understood this idea that it, you know that we had we die to sin, and we are freed from that power. But the cool thing in this passage is not merely that we we die to sin. It's not merely that our that our legal status before God is dead to sin. It's also that we are alive to God. Right, uh, and, and look here, this idea, right? Here's some good-looking guys there, right? You know, this idea of, man, we are alive to God, and that's Max post-baptism, right? And again, just like as numerous as the references to, to dying with Christ, you have the flip opposite of you are now alive with Christ, right? Verse 4, just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Verse 5, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Verses 8 to 10. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And you think about what this passage is saying. I mean, he's, he's saying, look at the reality of the past. Look at Jesus' life, right? Because Jesus died and was raised, and because you have been buried with him in baptism, you've connected to that past event, you're, you're, the future trajectory of your life is forever connected with Christ. You know, and twice in this passage, Paul emphasizes that you are united with Christ, not just in the past event, but also in the future. And it's not what he's advocating here. This, this resurrected life that he's talking about, this resurrected life that Christ has, that's not a resuscitated life. Right? Lazarus died, 
And in some sense, yes, he was dead, dead, and Jesus resurrected him in the sense that we often use resurrection. But reality is, Lazarus was, was resuscitated. Because what happens to Lazarus eventually? He dies again. Right? Same with Eutychus, who Paul preaches too long, falls asleep, falls out of a window, dies, right? Be careful sleeping in sermons. That's the point of that story, right? You never know what will happen, right? Paul, of course, you know, resuscitates Eutychus, resurrects Eutychus, but, but Eutychus will die again another day. But, but what Paul is trying to tell us here is that, we gotta, again, you've got to think about your baptism. And if, you gotta, if you haven't been baptized, my gosh, you've got to think about what, what you're missing out on. What's available to you you're not tapping into. The trust fund that's been established that you're not accessing. Right? But he's saying here for us as Christians, we've got to think about this. Because a lot of times with, with, with baptism, we harp on that dead to sin part, but we don't actually think about the implications of that we are alive with Christ. And the Bible does this a lot, right? It speaks as if we are something, though everything in our life says, no, I'm not that. Right? Uh, you know, and Paul speaks very confidently of that. Even verse, verse 5 there, you certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Again, Paul's mind, that, that past events give him great confidence for the, for the future reality that awaits him. You know, and you, and you think, think about this, right? We looked at Colossians 3 when we were at our church retreat. Uh, Romans 6, Colossians 3 are very much parallel passages. And there in Colossians 3, 1 to 4, Paul says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And, 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 and Paul is trying to, trying to help us to grasp, as he often is, that look, when you were born again, who you are, your status radically shifted. That you are now raised with Christ. Seated with him in the heavenly realms. That, 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 that's where true life resides. Not here and now with all the temporary temptations and struggles and trials of life. No, no, you, you have been raised with Christ. But you you got you to set your mind on that. you got to set your heart on that. And you think about this status change. And I warned him I was going to do this, right? You think about, you think about young Stefan here, right? Uh, you know, and... You know, married life has some, some challenges, right? Especially the first couple of years, right? Uh, or maybe first 20 years, you know? <laughs> or, or the whole time, right? But, but you, you, think about, you think about Stefan then. <laughs> I don't know how old he is there. 15, right? Young, stinky Stefan, right? Stuck in, in, in the grind of school and... and you know, growing up, versus Stefan now, right? It, young Stefan has no idea how amazing married life is, yeah. right? No idea that the status, that that place is way better than single life. Yes. He is way better, right? I mean, what God says is not good for man to be alone. For, with Stefan, that was like doubly true, right? And, and everyone says, amen, right? <laughs> But, but you, you think about what he has in this new status, there, there's, there's no desire. Even in the, in the roughest times in marriage, there's no desire to go back to, to young Stefan, to single Stefan. Hey, man, life is so much better. And Paul's saying, look, you've got to look at your resurrected life in that way. You've got to look at the privileged position that you now stand in. Why would you want to go back? 
And we're oftentimes, guys, we're just like the, the Hebrews when they left Egypt. We forget how bad it was. We forget how dark it was. We forget how empty the world was. And we lose sight of what we have in Christ. And so we feel tempted sometimes to go back. But if we really understand the privileged position we have, we would never turn back. You think about this, right? Interesting picture here. You know, this word palingenesis, right? And, and Stoic philosophers had this belief, uh, you know, that that periodically in the history of, t of, of the world, uh, a purifying fire would come and everything would be destroyed and then everything would be remade. All right? And, you know, Buddhist teaching has a similar concept of that of reincarnation, this idea that, 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 that we are in cycles of, of death and then being reborn, right? Endless cycles, right? Uh, and it's an interesting, it's an interesting concept. Twice in the New Testament, here in Matthew 19, verse 28, says, Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, at the palagenesis of all things, the Son of Man's going to sit on his throne. And what's he going to do? He's going to change everything. And we sing a song about it, soon and very soon. So much of the, you know, the book of Revelation, which, you know, last book of, of, the, of the Bible, ha has the church of that time uh, crying out, come, come, Lord Jesus. Bring that moment. Bring that moment when, when, the, when the Son of Man will sit on his throne and, and, and remake everything. Undo all the bad. Take away death. Bring in new life. Remake a new heaven, a new earth. That, that, that moment, the power that will exercise that is not some cosmic fire. It's It's Jesus. And he has that ability. And that will come in the future. But look here. Titus 3, verses 5 to 6, it says, you know, and this is talking about baptism. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, who poured out on us generously through Christ our Savior. Uh, guess what that rebirth and renewal is? Palagenesis, again. And Paul there is telling Titus, look, you know, at conversion, all that future power that, that, that Christ has where he's going to sit on his throne and he's going to make all things new. When you're converted, when you're buried in the waters of baptism and you're raised to a new life, that power is beginning, begin, begins to pour into your life. Generously, the text says. That ability to remake you and to renew you, to change who you are on the most deep fundamental identity levels uh, you know, inside of us, that that power begins to work. He says, hey, you got to think about this. You need to reckon yourself in this way. That power of sin and death that used to control you, you have been freed from that. But not just that, a new power has been poured out into your life in Christ. That in baptism, man, you get the spirit, and that spirit is the power by which Jesus is going to change everything in the end, and it's already at work in you. I think we've got to think about this, guys. Do our lives reflect that reality? I mean, if I told you that, that, that I have the spirit of LeBron James, right? If you don't know who LeBron James is, you can talk to Trevor afterwards, right? He's a really good basketball player, though. You know, and if I told you, hey, I've got the spirit of LeBron James, 
uh, dwelling within me. And then we go next door and you see me play basketball. You would have questions. And rightly so, right? I, you know, all my years, you know, growing up in America, everyone plays basketball. I could never master the layup, right? So it's such a simple thing, but I can't figure it out, right? That's where my basketball skills are at, you know? But, but if I was to make this claim that, man, I got the spirit of LeBron James within me, and then you see my basketball skills, you'd be like, I, I'm kind of doubting which power you say you have. <laughs> but I think we've got to think sometimes, guys. We get this can't mentality about change in our lives. We get this can't perspective of my, my, my marriage can't change. My kids can't change. You know, I can't change my life. I can't stop that sin. Oh, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can go and share with everyone in my workplace like Trevor says. And we, we get can't, 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 can't. I mean, if we have the power by which God is going to make everything new in the entire cosmos dwelling within us, Maybe our perspective is off. Maybe it's not can't, maybe it's won't. Maybe we're not experiencing the profound change that God has in store and desires for our life because we're not reckoning. What actually happened when you stood on some beach or some next to some river or some next to some pool and said, Jesus is Lord, and went into the water, Buried with Christ, raised with him. Maybe that's not deep enough in our heart and our mind. Because if it is, man, we should be changed. And we should be changed radically. You think about what is Paul says that, and, you know, verse 11 being that key verse. And then he follows verse 11 with this. He says, therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so you obey its evil desires. I mean, if all that's true, that you've been set free from the power of sin and death, and you've been in, you know, infused with the power of the Spirit that's going to remake everything, then how can we let sin reign in our mortal bodies? Why do we sit and we think we can't change? This is, hey, don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Rather, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall, not, shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law but under grace. I mean, this idea of offer, offer yourself fully, every part of yourself, every, every skill, every talent, every ability that you have, use it for God now. Use it to, to usher in that, 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 that moment of palagenesis that's coming. Bring it forward now and allow that power to work in your life and in the world around you now. But I think a lot of times that doesn't happen because we don't actually think about what God's done. We don't actually think about what happened when we got baptized. We forget. We take it for granted. We don't, we don't meditate on or think about, man, what, the, the status we have in Christ. And we become comfortable. We go into cruise control as Christians. We become faithless and hopeless. When, when reality is, that moment you got baptized, it gave you enough reasons to have faith and hope to last you in eternity. You know, I encourage you to, to, to think about your life. And to think about even perhaps tonight as you're going to bed, think about some of those cyclical sins that you maybe you've been caught in. Or think about some of those situations in your life uh, of, of where it feels like, man, you know, sin has just overpowered me. And I don't know if I could change. 
whether it's dynamics in your marriage between your you know, spouses or, or you know, young people in, in, your, in your day-to-day lives or you know, relationships with your kids and, 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 and those things that you just think, man, I can't. I can't change it. And we become hopeless and faithless about it. And then think about this concept that Paul's putting before us. How would that change if I counted myself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus? How would that change Monday to Saturday? If I really actually understood that in the past, before I was baptized, I couldn't not sin. But now as a Christian, I actually have the power to say no. I have the power to face temptation face to face and choose a different path. I mean, later on in Romans, or later on in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul will say, look, God never lets you be tempted beyond what you can handle. And when you're tempted, you always have a way out. And think about one of those cyclical sins and think, man, next time you're faced with that, realize I am no longer under the power of that. I don't have to be controlled by my people-pleasing nature. I don't have to be controlled by my pride. I don't have to be controlled by my lusts, my desires. I don't have to be controlled by fear anymore. I don't have to pursue these things anymore that I know are empty and hollow. I can choose a different path. Because in God's eyes, I've died. And I've been set free from that power of sin. When you think about how your life needs to change, not in terms of an absence of sin, but a presence of righteousness, in terms of a new life, a new way, that often takes courage. Remember that that power that's going to exude from Jesus' throne there on that judgment day, that's going to remake everything, that power is already at work inside of you. It's already beginning that process of remaking you and renewing you. But you've got to rely on that power. And you've got to turn to that power. And you've got to learn to keep in step with the Spirit. I mean, how radically I think many of our lives would change if in those moments of temptation, we actually humbly step back and think, you know, how do I rely on the Spirit in this moment rather than on Sam? I mean, if God has poured into my heart the power by which he's going to remake all things, why in the world would I not use that? Why would I not rely on that? Why wouldn't I not step away, you know, and give up on my white-knuckle approach to sin, but instead choose to rely on God? And to trust in him. And when we do that, man, our lives can radically change. This room is full of examples of how that happened when we were converted. But sadly, for many Christians, it only happens then and there. When it's meant to be ongoing. An ongoing process of sanctification. An ongoing process of transformation. God has given us the power to be free. And he's given us the power to live. Let's be a people that do that. Amen. Let's have a prayer and it will stand and sing one final song. Father, we, we pray that, that you inscribe on our hearts and minds the realities that we have in you, God. Help us, God, to, to walk out of here and truly believe that we are freed from the reign of sin, that it no longer has power over us, that temptation, no matter how fierce it is, no matter how strong it feels, the reality is that through you we have the ability to walk away. And we pray, God, that we can be a people that keep in step with your spirit, God. We can be a people that allow your your power, 
to change us from the inside out, God. That we as, you know, broken and, and flawed vessels, God, can be transformed from within into something new, God. Father, we, we know that you are faithful, that the, 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 that the work you began in us at our baptism, that you will see it on the completion, God. We pray you help us, God, to be willing participants in that process, God. Help us, God, in, in those moments of temptation, in those moments of hopelessness, God, regarding change, God. Help our heart and our mind to turn to you, God, and to realize you have the ability to call that which is not as if it is. That you have the power to take that which is dead and make it alive. You have the ability to, to one day, you know, remake all of the universe, God. Help us, God. Help us to turn to you, Father. And we do pray, God, that you change us, that you mold us and shape us into something new, God, in Christ Jesus. We ask this all in his name. Amen.